Do you find that there's certain industries that are adopting this faster than others? So basically, a few years ago, there were a few industries interested in cooperating with race like ours. Today, the market is huge. That's why it doesn't matter that it's us, Banksa, MoonPay, Mercurio, Ramp Network, probably much more companies will come up as well. And the market is opening for such companies. Can you tell me about some of the lowest points? Because as an entrepreneur, it's no secret that there's plenty hard times too. <laughs> and that was a very good lesson for me. That time I understood that it's not important what I think is needed for the market. What is important is what market needs. So that experience teached me to listen to my customer, to ask them what they think, not just do what I think is best. And this was very, very important lesson because after this lesson, I started to make things which were good for customers, not just good in my opinion. Today, we are joined by Mobileum founder and CEO, Wojtek Kaczynski. Mobileum is a fintech company that builds powerful yet simple integrations for small and large businesses to accept payments and manage their cryptocurrency businesses online by simplifying credit card processing. Mobileum's services work with cryptocurrency exchanges, payment networks, cryptocurrency wallets, and any business that is looking for fiat to crypto services. Mobileum is a dual headquartered in Estonia and Poland and is listed on the CSE, OTC, and Paris Exchange. But before we start, just a reminder that this content is not investment advice. We'd like to thank Olympia Trust Company for sponsoring this episode. Olympia's Corporate and Shareholder Services Division is a proud supporter of the capital markets and provides transfer agent and corporate trustee services to both public and private issuers. Wojtek, thanks so much for joining today. How are you doing? Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you're over in Poland. Yeah, I'm in Poland in Warsaw. It's currently 5 p.m. here. Beautiful day. Very sunny. Unfortunate the situation on our east side because of the tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but besides of that, the weather is good. We are moving forward. We are helping a lot our friends from the eastern border that's so good to hear and i've I've been glued to the news and obviously it it sounds like poland is doing as much as they possibly can anyways to jump into it so we like to start off by you know having our guests talk a little bit about their background and what got you into entrepreneurship huh okay so what can i tell you i'm a serial entrepreneur and founder with more than 25 years of experience in IT. I built financial market systems, I built e-commerce, I built retail systems. I started my career like 1996 by building first Polish e-commerce site, which is a Polish Amazon. It's mpig.com, the biggest e-commerce site here in Poland. Then a few years later, I moved into the fintech space and I'm with the fintech team today. Interesting. What were some of the origins of your interest into the crypto space and fintech and, and what essentially led you to found Mobileum? Uh, you know, uh, when I uh, finished uh, working for the e-commerce, um, I was invited by a few people uh, to build some systems in the financial space. Uh, I started from uh, some database of stolen documents. Together with Israeli company, I built 
system that you were sending text message to the vending machine to grab a Coke. And then together with MasterCut office, I was involved in the project of the electronic course. It was in 2006. Today, you call those projects uh, prepaid cards. And then I introduced to the market a few players uh, that did 35 or even 40 years ago the first electronic market system in Europe. It was in Milan. On Milanese exchange, you were able to trade uh, government bonds. So basically, I always provided some guidance, some advisory services, and some development services, managerial services to companies who wanted to enter the space. And that's how it happened. So for me, the uh, movement into the digital asset space was like a natural move. Because for me, cryptocurrencies or digital assets in general is just another asset class. You can trade them, you can buy them, you can sell them, you can hold them. The thing is that they give you a lot of possibilities because each asset is like a computer program. So basically, you can program the behavior. You can program uh, how the asset uh, is perceived by the user, how the asset interacts with a particular user's wallet. So it gives you a lot of opportunities. When I was bringing uh, those software tools for the electronic markets in Poland, there was no such possibility, right? I mean, in traditional finance world, each uh, financial asset is very well defined. While cryptocurrencies, blockchain by itself, gives you an opportunity to redefine the asset, the way how it behaves. It gives you enormous possibilities. So for me, it was like a natural, space, a natural step to enter the space. Got it. Was there an aha moment where it was like, wow, this now, like when Mobilum came to your mind, was there that aha moment? Maybe not aha moment. It's like this, that, uh, you know, yeah. uh, when I finished working with uh, the e-commerce uh, business, which I told you in the beginning, besides of the moving into the fintech space, I was also advising some companies. Uh, usually it was like turnaround management or how to move forward, how to increase sales and whatsoever, right? And uh, when someone brought me the possibility and informed me about this digital asset space, when I looked into, I saw that basically it gives a lot of possibilities to the market, to the market participants. But unfortunately, the user experience of uh, collaborating with the space, uh, of uh, the possibility to buy the asset or sell the asset, I mean, those times, it was almost un- impossible. For people who are newcomers, even today, sometimes it's quite tough. For example, let's imagine someone is a newcomer and he wants to buy some DEX-based coin. It's not possible. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very tough. I mean, you have to spend a lot of time to learn to make it happen. So that's how Mobilum came to the life. I mean, and uh, the mission and the vision of Mobilum was to make those assets easily accessible by anyone. Okay, so Mobilum is a kind of the bridge between the traditional assets and digital asset space. And, you know, the thing is that we did Mobilum four years ago, having such goal in mind and nothing changed, you know, because today the digital asset space is evolving. Right. I mean, we are having those DeFi's. Now we are having NFTs. Today, NFTs, for example, they are being used, you know, for some uh, easy things like NFT for arts, for music, and so on. Yes, but NFT is a great tool for the traditional finance economy and finance in general to create custom products because it's a non-fungible token. So you can buy something uh, from the market, but you can also create 
a product which is uh, created for this particular user, like he put it in, I don't know, 10 ETH or 100,000 USDT. For this 100,000 USDT, you bought some spot, you bought some future, some option, and everything with the payouts, with the value, is put it into one NFT which you provide to this particular user. So it's not easy thing. Right. That's why the mission and vision of Mobilum, which we had when the Mobilum was born, is the same as today. To make it easy, to make it happen. So right. everyone can buy, sell, stake, trade easily with the same user experience like using a banking application to wire a transfer, to pay the bill, to yeah. pay for the coffee. And am I correct by saying that those terms that you're kind of explaining right now is on-ramp and off-ramp? Yes. Just for anybody who's listening right now who you know might want to learn a little bit more about this space, switching the fiat to the cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and vice versa is called on-ramp and off-ramp. Is that correct? Yeah. So consider like this. Let's imagine that uh, you are driving a regular road with your car. And then you have the possibility on the right to go to the motorway, okay? So you decide to go to the right to this motorway, okay? Then you go through the motorway and you see that uh, somewhere you can skip the motorway to go again to the regular way, to your house or wherever else, right? So this is like on-ramp and off-ramp. Imagine that this regular way is a fiat, traditional finance, like US dollar or euro or whatever else. Then you go to the motorway, highway, which is a crypto space. So moving from regular way to motorway may be called on-ramp. You move to this better road. Then when you move back, it's like off-ramp. So this is the easiest way to, (laughs) maybe a little bit funny, but the easiest way to, uh, you know. On-ramping means that uh, you use traditional finance fiduciary currency in order to buy in many different ways, by the payment card, by the wiring the money through the ACH, and you are changing it into the uh, cryptocurrency, into the digital asset space, into the NFT, while off-ramping is opposite. So you convert those digital assets that you possess into the traditional finance in order to grab a coke. So basically, there are also several possibilities, like you can off-ramp to your payment card, you can top up the card, you can off-ramp by sending the wire transfer to your bank account, ACH, whatever else. You can also off-ramp to the gift cards and you can send these gift cards, for example, to your friend in Africa, in Philippines. There is uh, enormous uh, possibilities. There is a lot of possibilities to off-ramp as well. That's great. So what businesses are you seeing are taking and what industries are you seeing taking most advantage of this on-ramping and off-ramping? So imagine like this. When you provide digital asset services to the people, you need to allow them to on-ramp. Because basically in order to trade cryptocurrencies, to buy NFT, to sell NFT, you need to allow them to on-ramp. So for on-ramp services... Wallets, exchanges, NFT marketplaces, uh, marketplaces, uh, protocols, DEXs, yeah. those projects, they are interested yeah. in. Today we work with them. We are working very closely with all of those uh, potential customers for off-ramp. But do you find that there's certain industries that are adopting this faster than others? Of course. I mean, before, I mean, like I would say last year or previous year, exchanges 
were the ones yeah. who were really interested yeah. in on-ramp and off-ramp mechanisms. Last year, we saw a demand from wallets because wallets tend to be a kind of the exchange. So wallets are trying to compete with the exchanges in order to keep the customer with the wallet, to give them a possibility to swap coins, to on-ramp, to off-ramp. So basically, the customer stays with the wallet. End of last year, beginning of this year, we see a big demand in NFT marketplaces followed by the play-to-earn games. But what is very important and what is very interesting, we see a huge demand which started this year from traditional finance economies, from banks, from brokers, from insurance companies. They want to open to the space and they are looking for digital asset space providers in order to understand how to do it in a compliant way. But this is not everything. Regular businesses, shops, e-commerce, are looking for a possibility to work with a companies like ours for the off-ramp possibility. Why? Because they want to make it possible for their customers to buy goods and paying pay in the digital assets, in the cryptocurrencies. The thing is that they would like to receive fiat currency, not the digital asset. Why? Because it's easier for them to book. It's easier to, for them to calculate revenue, to calculate tax, and so on. So basically, a few years ago, there were few industries interested in cooperating with race like ours. Today, the market is huge. That's why it doesn't matter that it's us, Banksa, MoonPay, Mercurio, Ramp Network. Probably much more companies will come up as well. And the market is open for such companies. Right, right. You'd mentioned uh, NFTs a couple of times previously now. And I see that there's obviously inherent value there's so much money being made off of all of these different obscure yeah. <laughs> things that I just would have never thought had real value. Do you think that there is a bubble despite the true value that like, there is true value? But do you see that there is a bubble on top of that? You know what? I will tell you this uh, in another way. When I started my business in 1996, as you remember, or may, you may not remember, there was an internet bubble. I mean, the internet was something very modest. Uh, A lot of companies jumped into and 1999, 2000, 2001, everything went down. It was like a big crash, right? There was an internet bubble. But then the company that survived, I mean, mentioned few of them, like uh, eBay, for example. They are now market leaders, right? So then we had another bubble. As As you remember, when the crypto space was born, there was a bubble called ICOs. I mean... I saw so much stupid projects. They should never be funded. They were funded because the investors had FOMO, fear of missing out. They were putting money in everything what was just the name of ICO, right? Then the market went down, but some projects which were well-structured, which really had some idea behind, are now leading the industry, right? So it's the same like today. It's happening with NFTs. It's some novelty. And of course, when the novelty comes, there are people who really want to bring something significant for the community, who really want to contribute. But there is also a lot of scammers. There is also about a lot of crazy ideas and so on. Yes. So we will see in the future in which direction it will go. But, you know, it's like this, that there is no good idea without uh, some exercises, without some, you know, possibilities to make things wrong, to make things 
Well, yes, I mean, we are learning and it's learning by doing. Sometimes you go into the wrong direction, but you know, I will tell you something. It's better to fail than just sit and do nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And these new emerging industries, they need capital. Of course. And I think that sometimes bubbles are just a byproduct of these emerging industries. It, it, it makes sense. And yeah. um, that's what drives our capitalistic society a lot of the time. So is there certain areas and developments in the crypto space? Of course, you know, you have your niche, but besides your own niche, is there certain areas of the crypto space that you're most excited about? Yeah. You know what, uh, as I told you on the beginning of Mobilum, of the development of Mobilum, when we bootstrapped the company, we wanted to be the bridge between digital asset space and uh, traditional finance. The funny thing is that today this convergence between those two is something that is exciting most because we just discussed about the NFTs. NFTs are today only used for some funny purposes like those crazy images whatsoever, yes? But NFTs as a great, <laughs> are the great tool for the traditional finance, for financial products. NFTs gives you the possibility to encapsulate in the smart contract, in a token, an agreement between two parties. In sense of the traditional finance, it may be agreement between bank who issues the, pro the product for the customer and the customer buys the product and wants uh, by this investment to get a yield. But the same NFT may be used as a kind of the confirmation of the agreement between two companies. They sign agreement. This is NFT. So the direction which we are going into is uh, how to make those technologies accessible to everyone. We are working now to make the user experience from touching these uh, different ideas the same like someone who would use the banking application or who would use uh, eBay. You can compare it to eBay, right? It's easy. You go, there is one click, you buy. We want to make the same for the digital asset space. Yes. But there is also a risk. As we discussed already, there was internet bubble, then there was those ICO bubble. Maybe we have now NFT bubble, we will see. Unfortunately, when such things happen, there is a lot of scammers, a lot of people who want to do some crazy, nasty things for others, steal money and run away, okay? We are in a payment industry, right? Mobilum is a digital payments provider. So this part of the business is highly regulated. So it's like a regional business on a global scale, which means that we have to put a lot of attention to the compliance, to the anti-money laundering policies, all of those things that make the interaction between the customer and uh, the financial company, no matter whether it's traditional finance or digital asset space, safe and secure. So there is a lot of developments in this space. Yeah, speaking of regulation, I always love to ask, how has your role changed from pre-IPO, being a pre-IPO company, a private company, to a post-IPO company? Can you speak from a regulatory standpoint, from a, and just an everyday kind of what you're up to standpoint? Yes. So. The good thing is that this is not my first public company. I was involved uh, in, uh, as you remember, uh, on the beginning of my career, I was involved in electronic markets here uh, in the region. I have uh, two companies who are uh, stock listed in Poland. So me, like uh, entering into the space is just 
learning what are the differences between the Canadian uh, market and the European market, right? But I can tell you one thing for sure. When you are a private company, the only idea you have in mind is to bring the best product ever to the market, okay? And to make money on it, to find uh, customers, to convince them, to elaborate about the product, to make everything what is possible so your customers will buy the product for the benefit of their users. When you become a public company, there is this whole compliance and legal framework which is put it on you. So instead of just doing the same, because uh, from the perspective of the company development, we are doing exactly the same. We go to, with the best product to the market. We try to convince customers that this is the best product to the market. Uh, we sell it. We listen to their users in order to make the product even better. And this is like the ongoing cycle. But on top of it, we are having like this whole machine which is behind, which makes this company public. So we have a CFO who is working with the auditors, uh, preparing quarterly reports. Me as a CEO, I'm having calls with the investors. They want to know what's going on with the company. So basically, there is this whole administrative uh, add-on on top of the activity of the, uh, of, the, of the company in order to communicate well with the investors. Because it's a significant difference. While Mobilum was a public company, if I wanted to have an investor, I just made a meeting with a person, with this particular person. I shown him the deck. Uh, we were discussing, elaborating. And once he was interested in, we were just signing agreement and so on. And that's it. On the public market, your obligation is to provide the correct information about the company state to everyone who is the investor on the same moment. So you cannot do like things like this, that uh, you know this investor better, so you tell him more. This investor you don't know, so you don't tell him more, right? Because it's illegal. I mean, you have to treat all of the investors the uh, same way. So there is this additional, I would say, administrative framework on top of your business, which uh, you have to follow. Right, right. That's great clarity. And, and how would you compare the Polish stock exchange to the Canadian stock exchange? What's been your experience there? Uh, you know, I'm still learning. Uh, there are some differences, but there are, there are some similarities. So first of all, we have this blackout period. So if there is a specific news that you are going to release or some significant agreement that you are signing and you know it by yourself and you know that other employees know it by themselves as well, you enter the blackout period, right? So you are not allowed to do any trades. You are not allowed to communicate with the investors about this blackout period, uh, even about the fact that you are in the blackout period, right? So it's it's the same, right? In Europe, we have uh, the same. There are some differences, like in Europe, uh, you issue shares in a different way, right? Uh, than in, uh, in Canada. I believe that uh, also there's a lot of local regulation. So there is a difference on the Canadian stock exchange and there's a difference on Toronto stock exchange and other stock exchanges as well. But there is one thing in common, right? I mean, why someone would agree to go and make this company a public company if there is so much additional requirements and this whole legal framework, compliance framework put on top? Because of tourism. First of all, access to the capital. Public company means you have the access to those investors. You can issue new shares. If the company goes well, the shares go up. New investors will sign up 
will uh, subscribe to your shares and the company has much easier the capital to grow, right? So this is like first added value. Second added value is the leverage. Because basically, if your company is private, the value of the company is exactly the value that this company generates. So for the owner of the company, if the company generates 1 million, he has 1 million. On the stock exchange, there is a difference because investors do not buy current state of the company. They buy future. They buy what they think the company will be in two years, in three years, in four years. It's called leverage. So the company which does 1 million yearly may be worth 100 million of the stock exchange. What it means for the current shareholders? It means that they raise capital much cheaper than if they would just have to borrow or put it from their own pocket, right? So there are pros and cons. If you have a business which requires capital, which is not the cash cow, but has some risk in investing behind stock exchanges for you, if you are just, you know, mine or I don't know, some electric company which generates cash, you don't need a lot of capital and so on, it's better to stay private than just uh, get money from the, you know, running business. Got it. So back in May 2021, Mobileum was acquired by TechX. Mm-hmm. Could you paint a picture of how that process looked and what was the strategic thought behind it? Yes, of course. So basically, Mobilum was bootstrapped by myself, as you remember. And uh, last year, we had an opportunity to grow much faster. Mm, so basically, TechX was a company listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. And the uh, uh, current shareholders of TechX, they did a race. Uh, they uh, earned uh, some additional capital in order to invest in companies from the new digital asset space. We met with them, we presented our strategy, our goals, and basically we agreed that such a merge, I mean takeover of the of my company, Mobilum, by the TechX, was a good thing for both. For my company, because we get additional capital for the growth, and for TechX, because TechX became the 100% shareholder of Mobilum, of fast-growing company. I became one of the largest shareholders of TechX in such a sense, uh, so you may say that Mobilum became a public listed company. Then we decided that this is a good direction and we rebranded the whole TechX into the Mobilum. So now we have a Mobilum technology listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange with different companies which are regional because as you remember, I told you that already, payments is very regional business because you need to follow up local regulations. You need to monitor the local law and you need to report to local bodies, anti-money laundering, some, uh, you know, government uh, regulations and so on. Right. Could you speak to some of your highest points in your career so far? I don't know. I built first uh, e-commerce in Poland. This is, that was a very great achievement for myself. Then I built one of the first even worldwide uh, internet televisions. It was in 1998. It was called MPIC TV. Then Mobilum uh, was brought as a really unique experience, u- really unique company, which allows uh, easy on-ramp and off-ramp uh, for uh, customers. But I believe this is just the beginning and the biggest win are still in front of me. I love it. That's that, that's that optimistic attitude. Would you consider yourself a pretty optimistic person? And what are some things that you do to keep your mind in, in kind of positive, healthy shape? 
You know what? Uh, it's like this, that uh, I am a happy person because uh, I do what I like and I'm being paid for that. So I have money from it. Yeah. But the most important thing is not to think only about yourself. All businesses that I was doing, and Mobilum uh, is one of them, we had one common thing in mind. Our vision and our mission is to bring something significant for the community. If you are doing something for others, and you really truly believe in that, and you focus on that, there are always people who will use it, and you can benefit from this. So basically, you know, you only live once, people say, right? But uh, you can live life which you love and you can live life which you are just waiting to change and forget. My idea is to do things which I love. And that's what I'm doing for my whole life. I love that. That's, that's great. So we talked about some of the highest points in your career. Can you tell me about some of the lowest points? Because as an entrepreneur, it's no secret that there's plenty of... Plenty hard times too. <laughs> of course. You know what? I, I, it's like this, that basically there is a sentence. There was a young boy asking the master, Master, what should I do to achieve great things? And the master said, you have also to fail because there is no winning without the failure. You have to learn how to fail in order to understand how to win. So, of course, I had some uh, failures in my career as well. I invested in 2001 the money, uh, part of the money I got from selling the e-commerce business into some financial tool, which I was pretty sure that everybody will use. And that was a very good lesson for me because the, that time I understood that it's not important what I think is needed for the market. What is important is what market needs. So that experience teached me to listen to my customer, to ask them what they think, not just do what I think is best. And this was very, very important lesson because after this lesson, I started to make things which were good for customers, not just good in my opinion. Sounds like a very humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, I've been there too with previous businesses is when you just you think you have all the answers, but at the end of the day, it is the market, it is the customers who will tell you. Yeah, it's nothing bad in failure. What is important, you have to learn something. The worst thing is to fail for a second time, a second time in the same way, because that means you didn't learn anything. Correct. Yeah, it's a good point. You meditate, you kind of sit with yourself sometimes in quiet to kind of dive into yourself and self-reflect. You know what? I work a lot in general. Have in mind, I'm living in Poland. So basically, we have in Europe uh, the technical staff. We have in Europe part of the business development. When it's uh, 4 or 5 p.m. my time, Canada wakes up. So basically, I'm also managing the business in Canada. So it's not like eight-hour shift, like a regular, a regular job. You know, I do what I like. That's why for me, it's, it's not like an issue, right? Because I really admire the fact that I yeah. have people there who are also building great things. But end of the day, what is important is that you put on some paper or on the computer note or even uh, in your mind what happened during the whole day. What could you do better? Whether you did something uh, you shouldn't do. And uh, I don't know whether it's meditation, but as a people, we have to be better every day. So it's very important to think, to go back with your memory from the beginning of the day understand how the day looked like and what you could do better. Because 
you know, it's not possible to be 100% perfect person. I mean, such people do not exist. But if you do not go back, if you do not look what you've done, how people reacted to it, how you react to it, you do not learn. And the idea about moving forward is to become better and better in many directions. You may want to help people better or you may, may want just to focus on your tasks better to do them in a shorter period of time. It's up to up to you. I mean, each person has a different view, or different ideas about themselves. But the most important thing is to go back, understand what you could do better and then just to apply it to the next day. Yeah, Wojtek, this has been a great podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Just before we wrap up, if our listeners out there, they want to follow your story, they want to see what you're up to, where can they find you online? So I am on Twitter. I am also on LinkedIn. I have also my email address. Uh, if anyone wants to contact with me, can write me an email. If it will be investor base, of course, I will forward it to the, uh, to the uh, IR team, which we have in the company. But I'm always uh, receiving emails, even if there is 100 or 200, I'm finding a time for this. So happy to get in touch with anyone who wants to follow a similar uh, path or discuss more about the ideas which uh, change a daily life of people in a good way. Ah, great. Okay, well, on that note, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and And if you like what you heard, please like and subscribe so you never miss an episode.